0: is The Next Trip Podcast with aviation insiders Doug and Drew. Together with more than 40 years of industry experience, they are creating a network for other avgeeks and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. All thoughts and opinions are their own.
1: Good day, and welcome to Boarding Pass Seventy Seven, operating on May Seventeenth, Twenty Twenty One. This is Drew, and I'm here with my fellow industry insider Doug. We're two avgeeks creating a network for airline, airplane, airport, and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. Hello, Doug.
0: Good day to you, Drew. On this podcast, we cover all aspects of aviation, but our comfort zone are operations and the passenger experience, which we talk about highly. We do some art- armchair quarterbacking and marketing and sales, but today we have a very special guest who's a leader in that field.
1: We sure do, Doug. We'd like to welcome Chris Vandenhoven, Senior VP Americas at Cathay Pacific Airways. Welcome, Chris. Thanks very much, guys.
2: Good to be with you today. I'm uh, a fan of the show, and it's great to be on.
0: Chris, we, we have been looking forward to this for weeks possibly months since since we first started talking to you so we'd like you to start out just take a moment tell us and our listeners a little bit uh, a little bit about you and your aviation journey
2: sure thanks very much Doug um, well I, I think I'll begin actually with the aviation journey before I sort of talk a little bit about what I do today so for me you know I always like to talk about my first flight and I don't know about either of you two, but do you guys remember the very first time you, you stepped on board an airplane?
1: It was a Pan Am 747. And I remember the flight attendant taking me up the steps and guess where it was. Where? Hong Kong. All right. <laughs> and, and just real quick, my first flight was on Cathay Pacific. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. My mom refreshed my memory. She couldn't remember what plane, but it was from Colombo to Hong Kong. <laughs> and that was the only airline flying. So nice. Nice. How about you, Doug?
0: No, I, I don't. I, I know it was a Northwest 727, but I was, uh, Three months old, four months old. Oh, no, okay. I, I don't remember it.
2: All right. Well, you can be forgiven. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I'm, I'm amazed how many people I asked that question. And, and a lot of people just don't know. And for me, um, it was love at first flight. And mm-hmm. I'll never forget it. July 1976, Vancouver to Amsterdam, the first time to meet my relatives in the Netherlands. Hmm. And I flew uh, an old Canadian charter airline called Ward Air, and they operated seven four seven two hundred. Yeah, yeah if mm-hmm. heard of them. So they were a very popular airline in Canada. So they typically operated to Europe in the summer months, and then to sort of the sun destinations in the winter. And you know, if they were around today, uh, like ourselves, I think they would be a bona fide, you know, contender for a Skytrax five star carrier. Hmm. Uh, but it was just a great experience. And I remember as a young boy just wandering around that flight. And it was a transatlantic flight about nine hours and I couldn't sit still. I was mesmerized (laughs) by this (laughs) this massive piece of machinery flying, you know, over, over, over earth, it it felt like, and just mesmerized. And I was just fascinated. And it was really from that first flight and that travel experience for me as a young boy uh, that sort of evoked an emotional and memorable experience that, um, I'll never forget. And I love that. I love that saying, you know, a mile, of highway will take you a mile, but a Mm -hmm. mile of runway takes you anywhere.
0: No. Yeah. uh, Yeah.
2: You know, for me, that, that just has always resonated very true.
0: Now,
1: did you stay awake the whole flight?
2: Oh, absolutely! I was—I <laughs> didn't want to miss anything because yes. you know were—I didn't want to miss a meal. I didn't want to miss any of the service. So I—I I probably annoyed the cabin crew to no end. But back in the '70s, you know, they—they they flicked the seatbelt sign off pretty quickly, and uh, mm-hmm. unless it was severe turbulence, they—they they usually just let uh, let that sign stay off. So, so that was sort of the aviation component. And then for me, myself, I've—I've I've been in the business 35 years. Hmm. And I've only worked for two airlines, and the vast majority of those have been with Cathay Pacific, of course. And I had mm-hmm. a short period with another airline that also was a CP, and that was Canadian Pacific Airlines. Mm-hmm. Yep, and I was there. just with them for a short period of time. But I effectively started as a reservation agent answering the phone uh, with Cathay Pacific. And then I just gradually kind of worked my way. Up uh, through the organization, and I've been very, very fortunate to have worked and live now in five different countries around the world. Hmm. And um, yeah, it's it's been an amazing journey for me, and it's just been a great ride. And I I wouldn't change it for for anything.
0: Well, Drew, this is awesome because Chris is an exec at a major airline in the world, mm-hmm. and he's an av geek, right? I, I mean, yes. a, a lot of people in his position at other airlines, even at people who work for the airlines, it's a job. To them and and to oh, Chris, yeah. it seems like it's a lifelong passion. And that is that's awesome to see.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you know, when I was uh for our listeners, when I heard that you were interested in being on our show, I was I was a little taken aback. And I think the first time we talked, I was like, okay, what should I say? I'm talking to a vice president, I gotta watch everything. But you're just a great guy, you know, you're an Av Geek like us, and it was very comfortable talking to you, not just about business stuff, but about the Av Geek stuff too.
0: How was your week? How how's the hub? <laughs>
1: Oh, I'm trying to think. No, I was I was telling Chris before we started, I'm still giddy from our trip to Alaska. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this whole week at work, I'm showing people pictures and I'm like, <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: I have dozens of pictures to show you. But let me just show you this one and it'll it'll describe our whole trip. And you know which picture that is, right?
0: Yeah, probably the one in front of the plane.
1: No. no oh, really? It's okay. the one. It's the one with the cargo 747 getting ready to turn on to the runway. Uh, oh, and the and the moose, and a moose, yeah, <laughs> a moose is just
0: like an everyday, you know, no big deal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, how was your week? <laughs> it, it was good. I mean, like you said, trying to get back into the the swing of work and and things and telling everyone about it. But I I am pretty excited because this coming week I've got an awesome trip. Which we have a, a question for Chris coming up regarding the A three hundred and fifty, and I've got an A three hundred and fifty flight coming this up. week, which is going to be my first. So I am beyond excited about it exciting so coming coming off the excitement of alaska trying to get back into work for a couple of days before a work trip with the 350 drew you i mean you know how tough that is <laughs> <laughs> it was n- it was not easy
1: hashtag avgeek problems yeah yeah
0: <laughs> yeah exactly chris how's uh, your
1: week
2: yeah similar to yours guys i'm a bit envious though i haven't i haven't been on a plane since october when i mm. moved over from europe so I'm itching to get out there like so many of us are.
0: Yeah, hopefully it won't be too much longer before you can get on a plane. But before we ask you a bunch of questions about your job in Cathay Pacific, we do have to confirm your avgeek status beyond what you you talked about your first flight here, as we do with all of our guests. So what was your favorite aviation moment, that moment when you knew that this was the career for you?
2: Ah, that's that's an excellent question. Well, again, after so many years in the business, uh, I have to say I have so many fond, wonderful, special memories, and I probably have kind of segmented them over the years. But I would say, you know, my top three—I'll give you my top three. <laughs> I won't go into detail, but I can't—I can't pick one. That's like asking, you know, your favorite child. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but the top three for me would be, you know, the first time I ever went to Hong Kong. I had the privilege of sitting in the cockpit landing at night during a typhoon. Mm. That's maybe a Story for another day. Uh, number two would be an A350 simulator uh, mm-hmm. in Cathay City, which is our headquarters. I had the opportunity to fly that for a while, and but the number one, without question, would be the delivery flight that I had about ten years back with our top ten customers, and that was a really special experience. So we took delivery of a new Triple Seven Three Hundred ER directly mm-hmm. from the factory in Everett, Washington.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow.
2: And uh, flew over to Hong Kong with, uh, you know, about 25 people on the plane. And it was an amazing experience. I mean, Boeing really, uh, you know, rolls out the red carpet. But you arrive the night before they host this lovely reception and dinner. And -hmm. it's a very small, intimate gathering. And what I love is they distribute these Boeing delivery jackets to everybody. So you get this embroidered, you know, Cathay Pacific delivery team jacket, and you. Wait, really- I, I got a water bottle.
0: <laughs> you got a. I didn't get a jacket. Yeah, I, I, Chris, I was going to say, raise your hand <laughs> if you've been on a Boeing delivery flight here. Oh, oh well, yeah, well- not, not me. You two have. <laughs> well, Doug, Doug, you asked the question, so yeah. you know, uh,
2: and 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 so you know, you're all wearing these jackets. You really feel like you're part of something very exclusive. And then the next morning, they Boeing picks you up. Picks, picks us up, I should say. And they give us a lovely VIP factory tour, hmm. uh, really behind the scenes. And you get to really kick the tires, get up mm-hmm. close and personal with the assembly line, which is something you don't usually get to experience. And then they, they sort of direct you to this purpose-built delivery center, which is absolutely mm-hmm. beautiful. And then they host a lunch. And guys, you really have to kind of uh, imagine this, but You know, when you're about to board the plane, there's two massive hangar doors slowly inch open. (laughs) They dim all the lights and, you know, then they reveal this beautiful, brand new, shiny, new car smelling $300 million airplane. And, you know, and they're blaring. I'll never forget it. They're blaring start me up by the stones.
0: (laughs) And if you're familiar with that (laughs) song,
2: uh, there's a line in that song. Called you make a grown man cry? Mm-hmm. Well, that was me because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it, it was just such a thrilling experience. So, uh, you know, credit to Boeing, big shout out. They do an amazing job. And then you board the the, the plane directly from the hangar, and you taxi, and off you go to Hong Kong. So, hmm. uh, without without a doubt, that's the that undisputed all time favorite aviation experience for me. Money can't buy that stuff.
0: Well, then how, how is yeah. the flight? I mean, how do you come down from that excitement? You, you know, like you, you board the airplane and it's like, well, now I have to sit on this flight for 14 hours.
2: Well, you know what's great about the flight because it's not a commercial flight. It's considered a delivery flight. So mm-hmm. it's wonderful. So the, the pilots, uh, you know, give you full unfettered access into the cockpit. Caught- cockpit Mm -hmm. Uh, you can see the crew rest area because as i said earlier there's only about 25 of us you know so you really get to explore uh the entire aircraft and all the bits and pieces which is really interesting it's fully crewed uh catering is basic but believe it or not the delivery experience was almost
0: you Mm -hmm. know
2: for an av geek because it was so unique Mm -hmm. you know that was the highlight over the flight i'd have to be honest
1: yeah. And so I, I had one of those delivery flights. It was a 787 and just having dinner, this fabulous dinner, you know, with a menu for us saying, you know, Boeing delivery flight for uh, our airline. And they must've changed a little bit because the airplane is sitting right there at the windows as we're having dinner, we're watching it. And then to go on the flight and having our CEO service drinks on this new plane that we're delivering, it was just amazing. Awesome. So that's i I concur with you that I will never forget that that experience,
2: but you got a water
1: bottle <laughs> I got, I got a call. I'm calling Boeing I didn't get my jacket <laughs> yeah and I tell you I still have that jacket uh, I tell you yeah it's it's fantastic all right, Jen so let's let's get a little bit of work done and we're gonna get back to Kathy Pacific because I got a lot of questions first, let's um, Let's rip off the band-aid first. Let's talk about Cathay Pacific. It's a rough time for all the airlines in the US. We're recovering. We're not fully there yet, but things are starting to come back. It's much more difficult in Hong Kong because Cathay Pacific, most of your traffic is international and there's a lot of international restrictions still. How are things going, Chris? Not, not
2: particularly well, <laughs> is is mm-hmm. the short answer. I mean, 2020 has, by all accounts, uh, has been the worst year for our industry uh, on on record as an entire industry, and the same is true for Cathay Pacific. 2020 was the worst year ever for us. So, very, very difficult. And as you quite rightly point out, we are a pure international carrier. So, unlike you know the U.S. domestic, China domestic, Canada, Australia, etc., that enjoy a bit of a buffer from the pandemic with these domestic markets. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we, we don't have that, obviously. So, you know, countries for the most part have effectively been closed over the pandemic or they've implemented really onerous entry restrictions. And that we've seen has really grinded international travel uh, to, to a halt. So just to give you a bit more context, you know, pre-COVID, we were transporting on average 40, excuse me, 100,000 customers a day. Uh, flying on Cathay Pacific, and now that's down to below a 1,000 per day, right? Wow. So that, that just goes to show you, it's been completely decimated. And currently, we're operating a skeletal network, but mm-hmm. 60% of our fleet still remains parked uh, in Alice Springs, Australia. So it's in, in temporary storage. For us, it, it's, it's still difficult for sure. The one bright spot, thankfully, has been cargo. Air cargo mm-hmm. specifically. Yep. So mm-hmm. we, we are a big cargo player on the global scene. We operate 2747 freighters. 14 of them are dash eights and six the ERF. Mm-hmm. In addition to our freighter fleet, we've also been operating a lot of these COP or or you might also hear the term praetors, right? These are COP is a Cargo only passenger flight. Mm -hmm. Okay. We had more than Mm -hmm. 6,000 of those last year. So we're effectively taking the the 777s and 350s, flying them without customers, uh, using the belly space, and in some occasions also using cabin load and Mm -hmm. praetor. praetor.
0: I like that. that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, We we haven't heard that. I
2: I don't because it reminds me of pleasure. And that's another word I'm not. Uh, Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Business leisure. Yeah,
2: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So. Uh, anyway, so we we are a big cargo player, one of the top five in the world. And if you remove the, the integrators like a FedEx and UPS, we're in the top three. Hmm. So wow. while the, the passenger business remains a bit depressed, international passenger, that is, you know, our cargo, our Cathay cargo team has really been knocking it out of the park. Um, here in the Americas, the area that I'm responsible for, we have over 40 freighters a week. And I know you both mentioned Anchorage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we saw it. And you must have seen a bunch of we, Cathay Pacific. We tails. did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because Anchorage actually is our busiest station in the Americas because all freighters to and from Hong Kong stop in each direction in Anchorage. So it's quite common you'll see, you know, six, seven Cathay tails lined up there.
0: Mm hmm.
1: Now, Chris, in, in Anchorage, since there's so many flights stopping there, do they move? Car- well, they're all coming from Hong Kong. So I guess there's no need to move cargo from one plane to another to transfer in Anchorage. Right. No, exactly. So they they they're all
2: inbound from Hong Kong. And then they go to 19 different destinations in the Americas. And then before they return to Hong Kong, again, we stop over in Anchorage.
0: Chris, we, we, we've got a couple questions for you. First of all, I, I know Hong Kong is, is really struggling from even just like a leisure destination right now because of some of the entry requirements. Leisure is going to come back first. That That's what everyone is saying really around the world. The question that we have for you is when do you see business travel returning? Because Hong Kong is such a big business, a worldwide business hub. Right. And and that's where the money really is for the airline. So when when do you see business travel returning?
2: Yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I mean, Hong Kong is a, a global financial center, global financial services center. Um, you know, a couple of thoughts on that. First of all, I have to say, you know, now living in the US, reading all the headlines about <laughs> domestic recovery and recalling furloughed employees and upgaging to wine body, I'm, I'm very envious. <laughs> and, and I think that's great. And I really hope uh, these domestic Achievements continue and will spill over uh, to, to help the entire industry, you know, but as far as, you know, business travel, um, I think, I think it still has a ways to go, you know, immediate, our immediate short term priorities for us is cash preservation and just staying agile and flexible. That's sort Mm -hmm. of the key for us, you know, but I think the business recovery is still a bit dim and distant. I'm sorry to say, and it's because governments have to speak to one another and we have to have agreements on a bilateral basis to open Mm -hmm. up international travel. And that's obviously much more complicated than, than domestic. We have seen some green shoots and we're really excited about that. So, and, and finally we think 2021 will actually experience some meaningful recovery in international Mm -hmm. travel. It might be later in Q3 or Q4. Uh, And and vaccinations, obviously, is key Mm -hmm. to restoring international travel as well. So those are all things we're watching very closely. New Zealand and Australia have established a travel bubble. That's Mm -hmm. great. And we're having conversations with Singapore, and we're hoping to establish our own travel bubble. This will be our first. It's been delayed already, uh, back in November last year. But we're, this is the second attempt, and we we feel strongly that if we can get that first corridor bubble established, many more will follow. Sure. So that that's kind of where we're at. But to your point, you know, all the external consultants suggest. And I agree <laughs> with that, that leisure and the VFR, which is visiting friends and mm-hmm. relatives, those segments will be the first to recover. No mm-hmm. question. Each one of us is missing, you know, loved ones, family, friends, right? And we're eager to get back. I, I haven't seen my kids in a year and a half. So mm. oh, um, wow. you know, the very first trip is up to Vancouver to see my children. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then business travel is just going to take longer. And I agree with that. So you know, a reference or a comparison is the 07-08 financial crisis and the business recovery mm-hmm. took five years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the pandemic is is obviously deeper and wider, so it may take as long. We yeah. don't know. And the big question and the big debate that all of us have on a, sort of a daily basis, and this is the unknown, is has there been a structural behavioral adjustment? Mm-hmm in terms of business travel, right? People have learned to work in these new ways mm-hmm. and do those behaviors stick uh, post-pandemic? And if they do, how does that impact the business travel environment? So that's the big question mark. Everyone's got a view. If COVID has taught us anything, the virus is in charge,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs>
2: not, not us. And uh, we're at the mercy of the virus at the moment, but it's 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 still to
1: be determined so Doug and I think exactly the opposite. I think with these Zoom calls, you see these people and you get to know them. And I think you're going to be like, I want to go and see that person. Yeah. You know, I want to go yeah. and have an actual meeting with that person and get to know them and grow my business. Yeah, well, like, I like, hope you're right. I it's, hope you're right.
0: It's like what we talked about last week that the CEO of Zoom and JP Morgan Chase said, mm-hmm. I'm canceling all Zoom meetings. Now that I'm vaccinated, I'm getting out there and going. And, and hopefully more people can do that. And I, I know this wasn't on the rundown. I saw this week that flights to italy are going to start to open up to COVID va- vaccinated passengers we've already talked about greece yeah. iceland that like chris said the, yeah. the the travel bubbles they're starting to grow and and eventually one bubble will lead into another bubble and and that is the normalization then of worldwide air travel are we right. a year away from that are we 18 months every six months no one no one quite knows but i i think if we if we were to have chris on here and Another six months, I, I think that things would be completely different in, in a good way. Uh, so hopefully, we'll see.
1: Yeah, and Chris, so what routes are you operating now? Are you operating several routes to mainland China? Any any international routes?
0: Absolutely.
2: As I mentioned, we have a skeletal network, so there are. You know, we have a few long haul destinations, uh, you know, in the Americas here, we're still operating to Toronto, Los Angeles, New York, mm-hmm. we've had to temporarily suspend Vancouver and San Francisco, as well as some other destination, we're hoping to resume those soon. And you may or may not be aware, but we had some very uh, stringent crew quarantine measures. So yes. mm-hmm. very, yeah, I read very that. Difficult. Like, um, very, very difficult for us in terms of scheduling and planning. You can imagine it was a nightmare trying to you know find enough crew to operate in what we call these closed loop cycles, right? Mm-hmm. Because after they they flew, they had to effectively be put in quarantine and do some self-monitoring. So really restricted our ability uh, to maintain our network. Um, that's gradually being restored. Thankfully, the Hong Kong government has relaxed some of these crew quarantine measures which are great and that'll help us back on the road to recovery but you know the big win and and this is what everyone is waiting for of course is when governments remove or relax we we want to see them removed the passenger quarantines mm-hmm. right because that's right. that's what's killing travel it's the quarantine
1: mm-hmm. i think
2: most people can put up with a test uh but once you start saying you need two weeks in a hotel um that that changes changes quickly.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So what do you what do you think? I mean, Doug and Chris, a test and confirmation that you've been vaccinated, we should be able to open up. I mean, what do you guys think? I I couldn't
2: agree more. I, I you know the only issue I have with testing, I'd like you know, the tests are expensive at the moment and there's a real inconsistency with testing requirements some Mm -hmm. countries acknowledge antigen tests others it has to be a lateral flow pcr and Mm. you know you have to go to a specific lab so it's very convoluted and complicated and you know we our industry is all about simplification making it easy for people to move and so all of these these little nuances that come into play complicate things further. So we commend, you know, IATA, uh, who, who's exploring the um, the travel pass concept to make mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. Yep. a bit more streamlined. There's some others out there too, VeraFly and Compass Pass. So we're just keeping our eye on all of them, and we hope that, yeah, there'll be a sort of a seamless, integrated, harmonized version that can be adopted uh, just to make it straightforward for international travel to resume.
0: Yeah, that that harmonized. I, I mean do you remember Russ's story in Alaska that he and his partner were in what Cancun oh or somewhere yeah. in Mexico and they were supposed to go to Hawaii a few days later so they got their 72-hour test in Mexico, got to Hawaii and they were told that that <laughs> they weren't going to, going to accept that test, so they had to fly back to Seattle, spend <laughs> the night, get the test just to fly back to Hawaii yeah and so, and so that that shows how there is no synchronization yet yeah. and uh, until we get that worldwide everyone understands the same test or uses the same test whatever that that's where we, we run into these issues unfortunately I I just
2: a story on that testing I've been following this development. Actually, it's in Indonesia, mm-hmm. and um, this is quite exciting. I mean, we'll see where it goes. They're in the testing stage. Pardon the pun, but <laughs> uh, what 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 the Indonesian s- scientists have discovered is they've created a breathalyzer, a COVID breathalyzer. Hmm. So you take a little plastic bl- bag, you breathe into it, mm-hmm. and this machine analyzes analyzes your your breath effectively, and it can t- determine within thirty seconds if you have COVID. Hmm. And it's it's pennies, right? It it's fast, it's cost effective, mm-hmm. and they're now uh, trialing this in four of Indonesia's major airports. It's, wow! It's it is something to watch, you guys. Mm-hmm. And ICAO, which is sort of the worldwide mm-hmm. governing body, yeah. has even recognized this as as potentially. We'll see wow. that you know. But that's the kind of advancement in technology we need for our industry. But if you're having to pay two hundred dollars for a PCR test that takes 12 hours, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, how how are you supposed to plan and work around that? Right. Yeah.
0: That that just complicates things. Yeah. Well, it's, it's awesome to see it's coming out of Indonesia too. That just goes to show that this is not just a one country, two country, one region Mm -hmm. answer. It's It's the the entire, it's the whole world. Correct. Yep. Exactly.
1: All right. Good information, Chris. We're going to come back and and really do a deep dive into Cathay Pacific's operation even more when we come back. But let's get some work done. Uh, We got a few news items to discuss. You know, we are thinking about our counterparts at Cathay Pacific. It's going to be a recovery, but it's going to be slow uh, from hearing you talk. And we just got to buckle down and wait for that. We're going to get back to Cathay Pacific from an operations perspective. But
0: Doug, what's going on in aviation this week? The first story we have is from CNBC, and it's titled "Pipeline Outage Forces American Airlines to Add Stops to Some Long-Haul Flights." Southwest flies in fuel. There was a cyber attack on the Colonial Pipeline. U.S. airlines and airports are scrambling to get jet fuel. The pipeline company owned by Colonial operates more than a 5,500-mile pipeline from Houston to Linden, New Jersey. It hoped to restore operational service by the end of the week, but the process was slow. Alternate methods include flying planes with extra supplies and adding refueling stops and long-haul flights. Atlanta said that they were not totally affected. However, Charlotte, which is American's big hub, had some issues. They had to make one-stop flights out of the previous non-stop to Honolulu, to Heathrow. Uh, they had to stop in Boston. The Honolulu flight has to stop in Dallas. Southwest also said that their operations have not been dis- disrupted except for places like Nashville, where they actually had to fly gas in, so the airplanes took off with extra gas. Analysts said the impacts of the pipeline depends on how long the outage lasts, which was a little less than a week. We'll probably know when the quarterly results come out. And as an update, it opened up again at the end of the week after the Colonial Pipeline paid a $5 million ransom. Guys, but. <laughs> This is crazy. I, I mean, uh, of all the things that could happen in the last year, I don't think anyone had Add this on this their on their bingo card, if you will. So they paid the ransom, but the
1: FBI is continuing to investigate what happened. I can't believe it's so hard to find these people. With all the technology we have, I'm sure they'll be found. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of time. But, Doug, we, we had this situation. It wasn't sabotage or, you know, it wasn't ransom related, but we had the hydrant system go down at um, at Washington, where I work, just before all of our international flights before our bank was about to leave Mm -hmm. just to plane. the hydrant system is a fuel system underneath the airport. The hydrant trucks come up and they, they move the fuel from the hydrants into the airplane. This is different from a tanker truck where the fuel is actually in the tank. It's a Mm -hmm. tanker truck. So it has the fuel in it. So what we had to do, the hydrant system stopped. I think it was the hydrant system was struck by lightning. So it, it stopped the system. We had to use what tankers we had to fuel we didn't have enough fuel for the whole bank. So then we're like, okay, what do we do? Yeah. So work with the dispatchers for the international flights for them to fly into the first large airport with fuel and then continue on. So for example, the London flight would stop in Baltimore. The Paris flight would stop in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And we were ready to go. We were ready to push these planes on time because they, they got, I mean, just enough food, fuel, right? But then the hydrant system came back, which is good and bad. Yeah. <laughs> Because now all these flights are going to be delayed, but yeah. you know it's better than stopping someplace. So yeah,
0: I I, I can tell you the trucks hold about thirty thousand pounds of gas because a lot of places I go in the world only have trucks. It doesn't have the the fuel pits, mm-hmm. and so we there are times where we might need one hundred fifty thousand pounds of gas for the flight that we're doing, and so mm-hmm. when we land, we tell them we need five trucks. We we don't we, we don't necessarily tell them the gas load. We're like we right, we just know. need five five trucks of gas. Yeah. And it is not <laughs> a fast process either. No. So a, anytime you have to go to the trucks, you're, you're in a pretty big world of hurt. So you were talking,
1: so that's a big truck. So ours, I think have 10,000. So oh, wow. Okay.
0: 30,000 30, pounds, right? Yeah.
1: So the fuel load for a triple, triple seven. Wait,
0: do they have 10,000 gallons or 10,000 know, pounds? It's got to be 10,000. It's gallons. probably gallons. It's yeah, be, yeah. Which would be a little bit, actually a little bit higher than thirty thousand pounds.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So a triple seven going to Europe is going to take on about one
0: hundred fifty thousand mm-hmm. pounds. So yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, of that's several trucks worth. Yeah.
1: All right, guys. This next story is from Forbes. U.S. Airlines few passengers amid the pandemic got historically good service. That may not last. So, the story says uh, North American carriers dramatically improved customer satisfaction scores on the JD Power list of conventional airlines over the last year with an average score of 819 on a 1000 point scale. Delta Airlines took the number 1 spot pushing Southwest to second place. The scores improved an unprecedented 27 points on average, but passenger numbers were only 60% of normal. Factors included less fees, less full flights, and some airlines, Alaska and Delta blocking middle seats. Chris, have you you have you flown during the crisis? I I forget. Well, uh, I,
2: I have. I flew in October from Zurich to San Francisco. That was the last time I was on a
1: plane. Did you notice any difference in service or was it pretty much the same as usual?
2: Uh, well, it was more compact. I flew on Swiss International and it was an nonstop stop flight. I was living in Frankfurt at the time. And so, you know, rather than the multiple exchanges between crew, it's now just, you know, sort of a one, one-shot deal where they put the the meal and all the <clears throat> all the accessories in front of you, at at once, right? They're not mm-hmm. coming back and interacting with you as as often. I was fortunate; uh, I had a good seat. Uh, I was traveling mm-hmm. with my wife, um, but sadly, there were very few people on the plane. Of course.
0: Yeah, Drew. When when you sent this article, I I laughed about the historically good service <laughs> because because I I mean you you and I have flown. Together, multiple different airlines th- throughout the last year, and yes. we've seen we've seen good, bad, ugly, indifferent, uh, all over the spectrum. And I just kind of laugh because, to me, historically, good service is sitting in business class, getting a, a five course meal not not getting the you know the the, the food box. That said, though, yeah, what Chris
1: was talking about just now is just but, one
0: plate. Boom. True, but but I I bet Chris would 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 voice this. How has the actual customer service interaction been? It has been excellent, right? Drew, you and mm-hmm. I have talked about that, uh, the eye contact, the y- yes, sir, welcome to the flight, sir, ma'am, wh- whatever it is, like, and, and even the flight attendants that we've interacted with and talked to have said, we cannot wait to serve you more more food, more drinks, more whatever, but that that level of interaction, the customer service level, I feel like has actually, as you've said, has improved over the last year.
1: Well, Chris, so Doug and I took a trip on, was it three of the majors, right? Mm-hmm. I would say because of COVID, I don't know what it is. I feel like even with the mass, I was getting good communication with the flight attendants because it seemed like they were working harder to let us know that they cared. Yeah. I, I just got that impression and maybe there's a greater appreciation of their job. I think all of us who work for the airlines during this have been like, oh my God, this is a great job. And I would, uh, I would, you know, be afraid of losing it. So let exactly. me do a really good job with the few passengers I have now so that they come back. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. And I think there's a, a whole renewed sense
2: of appreciation for travel, what it means to people and you know no longer do we take that for granted because we can see how how vulnerable it is uh in 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 light of a a pandemic yep exactly
0: all right moving on to our last story for today this is from one mile at a time it says hot plated meals return to united first class the change starts on june 15th for flights over one thousand five hundred miles or 800 miles on hub to hub flights Breakfast includes eggs and sausage or Belgian waffles and fruit. Lunch and dinner include chicken breast and pasta or enchilada with chili verde and rice and Eli's cheesecake. Love, love the cheesecake. We we love the cheesecake. Delta also. I am
1: going to say, so this is where these are the things that Doug and I obsess about because we <laughs> love travel so much. I, I, I felt the need to put in exactly yeah. what the meals were. Yeah. So if we're talking about this stuff too much, feel free, as Doug says, to at us. I guess that's where you send us a, a hateful message on Twitter to tell us to stop talking about it.
0: Yeah, well, I, I I just want to add, hopefully they will change the menu every month uh, because like, like we've talked about, Drew, we're, we're getting tired of the same. Snack boxes where where I don't I just look at the color and I'm like I'll take the orange one and and the flight the flight attendant's like oh okay you you know how
1: many do you have stockpiled in your house right now I think I
0: have seven unopened ones sitting in my pantry right now yeah. Just to finish the bullets, now we can talk about this a little more. Delta said that in June they'll start serving hot meals in Delta One and first class on select routes. American will continue to offer cold sandwiches in first class, but does not offer hot meals on some. Or excuse me, does offer hot meals on some of its transcons. All right, now now we can we can get into the discussion piece.
1: Well, I got to say, we got Chris on the show. And, and in Asia, they're big on food in general, not just on airplanes. They love food, and the food is delicious. So I flew Cathay Pacific from uh, Hong Kong to Bangkok. And that I think that was a two-and-a-half-hour flight, Chris. Is that is that exactly. about right? That's right. We got a full meal and a choice of, like, three different things. I was amazed. I mean, I would be happy to get an Oreo cookie and a, you know, uh, some chips here, but, and a drink, but full on meal. So it was excellent in Asia. It's excellent. And I don't know if it's still going to be the same with COVID, but I assume it is.
0: We talked about our milk run, uh, on the last mm-hmm. episode, right? True. When you and I booked this last fall, one of the reasons why we went to LA in, in, instead of going San Fran nonstop to, to Seattle was yeah. because we were looking to get on a flight where we could get a meal. <laughs> You, you know what I mean? We, we had that and discussion two and two, two clubs. clubs and two clubs. But mm-hmm. Drew and I, uh, uh, which is funny because we talked about this, I don't know, maybe 10 episodes ago. Would you go out of your way to get a meal on a flight? you said no but no. yeah, but but yeah we did i i mean that was that was part of the no, discussion so
1: that wasn't just for the meal. that was to have two flights versus one yes. and so that we could check out the lax um delta club
0: yeah that that's true and and we had the whole day to to travel so what why not just spend it on airplanes and in the airport yeah
1: <laughs> well i don't think chris would do that chris would you do that would you take an a, two flights to get a sandwich versus one <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I have to confess, when I first got into
2: the business in the, in the early days, uh, you know, every day off, I would fly somewhere because when I worked for Canadian Pacific, you know, they had a good transborder and domestic network. So mm-hmm. if I was off on a Wednesday, I'd, I'd fly down to San Francisco, look at the airport and just come around, turn around and come back. And, um, oh, yeah. So that tells you a little bit
0: <laughs> yep. about my okay. background. So I'm, I'm <laughs> okay. I really another five Avge. You are back. you are an automatic friend of the show.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I c- my body
1: would hold up to that these days. Though. <laughs> yeah, I can't do that. I mean, if I'm going to go to London, I'm actually going to go to London and spend at least a day or two and enjoy London, not just the flight. And there's people that turn right back around. <laughs> mm-hmm. So let's get back to focusing on Asia and Cathay Pacific. Chris, your airline is coming up on its 75th anniversary this September. Tell us how Cathay Pacific started out and how it got to be one of Asia's, Asia's and the world's most respected airlines.
2: It's quite a history. I mean, you're absolutely right. We're coming up on our 75th anniversary, which will be this September, September 2021. And it's a cool story. Uh, you know, the 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 carrier was founded by two former World War II pilots, an <laughs> American and an Australian. <laughs> So American name, Roy Farrell, and an Australian, Sidney DeCant, so Roy and Sid, uh, you know, and, and this is kind of neat, but they came up with the name Cathay Pacific at a bar in Manila, <laughs> at the Manila <laughs> Hotel, and I believe they were drinking Old Fashions.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs>
2: all right. No, all right, really okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> Now, Cathay is the British word for China, is it? Well, very good. Um, and and uh, yes, the, the word Cathay is uh, the old word for China, correct. And mm-hmm. then... The word Pacific was chosen because one day Roy and Sid had a dream to fly across the Pacific. So when they hmm. founded the airline, there's a couple of old Douglas DC-3s and they were just flying cargo uh, operation around the Asia region as far afield as Australia at that time. And um, our very first Douglas DC-3, we affectionately called Betsy. Hmm. And we we had her in service from, from like 46 to 55, and then we sold it, sold her. And then we we brought her back to Hong Kong 30 years later. And you'll never believe this, but that DC-3 was flying around the the outback of Australia <laughs> in the 80s. Mm-hmm.
0: Wow. And so
2: we, we purchased her back, brought her back to Hong Kong. And, and to this day, she's suspended from the ceiling of the Hong Kong Science Museum. And uh, we've restored her and uh put her back in the 1940s uh livery that we had
0: at the time so that's awesome doug, add that
1: doug add that to the agenda for our hong Wait, kong video. yeah when we go to hong <laughs> kong yeah that Absolutely. that's our
0: that's our destination for sure yeah. Cathay flies both the a350 and the triple seven and this is a pretty common debate uh, amongst drew and myself and our listeners and, and a lot of other av geeks which one do you prefer between those two
2: yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I I, I love them both. They're both exceptional, uh, great long haul aircraft, but I have to give a slight nod to the 350 these days because <laughs> it is, of okay. course, technologically more advanced than the triple mm-hmm. seven. And that's that's really the bottom line. But from a passenger comfort point of view, it's much quieter. It's the quietest wide-body twin engine out there. It's wow. faster, and of course, mm-hmm. it's it's more environmentally uh, greener, 25% Mm -hmm. uh, less uh, fuel burn as well. But I think what passengers most appreciate is the low cabin altitude. So, Mm -hmm. and and all of these things do wonders in reducing jet lag and as Mm a, as sort of a premium long haul carrier, that's a big deal for us. And we want our customers uh, to feel you know, to, to feel less about the effects of jet lag. So our customers love it. And I know a lot of pilots personally, and they always, I don't know if you guys know this, but the 350 has uh, a heads up display Mm -hmm. and uh, they love that. Right. Because it's, you know, they got the head up display instrument panel, the tail camera is really cool. Uh, you, you can pull up the tail camera from your seat back, uh, IFE and flight entertainment. So customers like that. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's really the aesthetics. And I love the the raccoon eyes, they're called. Yep. Around yep. The raccoon windows. Yep. Those, I just think they they look really neat. <laughs> like and then of course Yeah. Yeah. Like sunglasses (laughs) or the, the blended sharklets. Um, Oh yeah. The sharklets are
0: incredible. And
2: those, those curves are just, you know, so beautiful. And, um, it's actually my screenshot on my phone. I'm, I'm kind of not, (laughs) <laughs> shame to admit that but it's just
0: beautiful <laughs> well and that's a 350 behind you isn't it uh, it is on 350. the 350 oh yeah exactly yep
1: yeah i love the 350 and you know you mentioned it the tail cam i i could watch that all day it's really it, for those av geeks that have not been on a 350 get on a 350 just for that it, it literally it's it looks like you're flying with the plane
0: mm-hmm.
1: right you can see the wings and it's just amazing all right now um this might be a little, you know, might be a Doug, Doug Drew fake fight, but uh, <laughs> new li- <laughs> new livery. What are your thoughts on it, Chris? Because, uh, okay, so just to explain, not that all Geeks don't know what I'm talking about, but Cathay Pacific had a livery update where they went from the gray, you know, stripe and the green with the red. Um, There's a red stripe with it and some red on the tail. The red is gone, and now it's just different shades of green. Ah, uh, Chris, your thoughts?
2: Yeah, well, uh, that was back in 2015, and you know, we've we felt the livery and the branding really needed to be sort of updated and moder- modernized, and so this this we believe is just a gradual evolution of the Cathay Pacific identity. So, there were you know three key design elements. First was the color uh, palette, you know, and and simplification of that. So we. We've, we've gone to just the cafe green, gray and white now, and you're right. We've removed that, that red element. And you know and we've also changed the wordmark Cathay Pacific on the fuselage itself and made that more noticeable. Mm-hmm. But the, the biggest change <clears throat> you'll notice is the tail and our iconic brush wing logo. And I know liveries are subjective and everyone's got a view and it sometimes causes a, an emotive response. I know I have my favorites around the world too. Um, but, you know, guys, when we were in that transition phase, you know, the old to the new, when I was in Hong Kong and you'd see the old cafe Tail next to the new updated version, mm-hmm. uh, it was a striking comparison. Hmm. Um, you know, the, the upgrade is, really stands out. Okay. Uh, not only versus the old, but amongst our competitors. So clearly, I'm biased, uh, <laughs> but I think I think it's a beautiful, uh, beautiful upgrade.
0: Well, I, I think a trip to Hong Kong is is in order, <laughs> then, verify. Drew. Well, yeah, be, because I mean, we we look at it in a vacuum, right? We're at LA, and we see the one arrival in a five hour period, and, and so when you don't have them next to each other to compare, I I, I think we have to go to Hong Kong and and just verify that just verify what Chris said yeah
1: you know I was concerned because I I I didn't think anything was wrong with the original livery and then it's all green and white and gray or and I'm thinking oh so they're going you know monotone almost monotone right just one color just white and another color and shades of another color just like Lufthansa just like United just like Avianca just like Austrian but I will say it has a nice clean look to it and it's it's not it's not subtle it's a bold look because that brush wing plane, you know, the wing, the brush wing bird is actually bigger, just like you said. So it yeah. makes more of an impression. So um, I'm going to say yes. And Doug, you're on the fence.
0: I'm on the fence. Yeah, I, I was old, but listening to what Chris <laughs> was saying, and I, I mean, I'm sitting here for the last hour staring <laughs> staring at the new livery behind him. And it's, yeah. it's definitely growing on me. All right, well, we we can't talk about Cathay, we can't talk about Hong Kong without talking about the iconic airport Kai Tak. For those of the listeners who don't know, this was the historic Hong Kong airport single runway, one way in, one way out. You've seen the incredible on the harbor, on the harbor. you've seen the incredible pictures of the airplanes flying at the checkerboard and then making this last minute turn. You've seen the pictures of of all the apartment buildings with a Cathay 747 coming in. Be- Basically, between the buildings, mm-hmm. <laughs> Chris, you have to tell us about landing there.
2: Yeah, I, I, I guess this is before your time. Did either of you, were you around when Kai Tak was was open?
1: I was, yeah, yep. yeah. Um, my... I was working for the airlines in um, the early '90s, and I didn't make it to Kai Tak by 1997. I think it closed in 1997.
0: My first time uh, to Hong Kong was 2008, so well after it was closed.
1: Okay. Well, as I I said, this this certainly ranks up
2: there as one of my top three aviation experiences. So the very first time I flew to Hong Kong, uh, I asked the captain when I departed Vancouver, you know, is there any chance I can sit in the cockpit? In fact, I did this on every trip to Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. And this was all before, you know, 9-11 obviously when we you could do that sort of thing and on my first trip over to hong kong uh, it's a nighttime arrival and around taipei the captain called me up into the cockpit and we were flying over a thunderstorm and if you've ever flown uh, over a thunderstorm, it, it's magnificent. It's mm-hmm. it's, beautiful. it's beautiful. It's like mm-hmm. a symphony of lights, and of course, <clears throat> yep. much different than flying through a thunderstorm. <laughs> yes, uh, so it's yes. very peaceful. And yeah. I was enjoying sitting in the the cockpit, listening to the uh, ATC and the banter between, um, you know, uh, air traffic control, etc. And the Kai Tak landing is considered. Was considered, you know, a spectacular approach, and at the same time, it was infamous, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you really had to be regarded as a skilled aviator, uh, you know, to land, and you had to have your A game because there was very little room for error. So you're approaching a mountain with a checkerboard. Mm-hmm. Think about that, <laughs> and you have to take a sharp right hand turn and line up to runway thirteen. Um so it was a really demanding maneuver and it became known this was the nickname amongst the pilots Kai Tak heart attack heart attack right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah <laughs> and um and it's so true and I'll never forget the uh the first landing uh the captain that was operating this 747200 he actually put on leather gloves to make the mm. turn and, and that was his kind of preparation and then Yeah cockpit became very quiet you know all the little banter where are you from what do you do stopped Hmm. and uh you know now it's like focus time and that's when i realized okay this is this as i said you've got to be an aviator skilled aviator to do this and when our old uh training facility and as employees we would work around the kaitak area so when we were done our courses and things like that all my colleagues would head off into the city shopping sightseeing (laughs) yeah and they'd say, Chris, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to watch airplanes. Watch airplanes. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, you know, I used to get all the movements, the arrival and departures. And I'd go stand on this car park at the top floor, along with a couple of other bird watchers. And I would just check off landings and departures. <laughs> and I would do that for hours. Mm-hmm. It was a real, mm-hmm. uh, A real joy. And it was just fantastic.
1: Now, could you really see people having their noodles or ironing in their clothes <laughs> as, you, uh, <laughs> as you were landing? <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Well, you you certainly <sighs> got close enough, but. <laughs>
1: yeah. No, that's amazing. I'm sorry we missed that. But now, having said that, what are your thoughts? So I, I've flown through Cheplapcock, I think, maybe three or four times. It's beautiful. You know, lots of space. And there that's a nice approach to Cheplapcock, too. You still see the city. You see the mm-hmm. beautiful hillsides. What are your thoughts on that airport?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, it opened in 98 and, and you know, you would appreciate this. But Tak was so constrained. There was only one runway. It was completely full and there was absolutely no room for any further expansion. And it also had a curfew. So it was shut from you know, midnight to 6 a.m. Mm. So remarkably, HKIA, as we call it now, Lap Coxsey Island, HKIA is is effectively the airport. You know, 23 years later, it's still regarded as one of the, you know, the best and biggest beautiful international hubs around. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I don't know if you've just seen this, but there's a, there's a new sky bridge that's being installed. I think it's going to open next month. But this sky bridge at Hong Kong airport, is designed to connect the main terminal to a sort of satellite uh, mid midfield terminal and this bridge uh you you won't believe it you got to google image this thing if you haven't seen it but it's designed for a 380 to pass underneath Hmm. so it's going to be a destination in itself and this is what i love about the sky bridge you know besides restaurants uh and shops and things like that which will actually be in the bridge in, in the bridge wow wow yeah you' ready for this there's gonna be an observation deck oh. so it's gonna be a midfield uh, observation deck right in the heart of the airport so I cannot wait uh, to check that out when I'm there next
1: oh that's awesome
2: Drew, we gotta we
0: talk ha- about we gotta well, talk about the oh good the- well I was gonna say we have to add Hong Kong to our Singapore trip oh yeah we- <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you you guys have some of the
1: best clubs. Chris what was the the pier and the, the pier. Wing. Mm-hmm. I went to both of those. I discovered what Dan Dan Noodles is. Oh yes. you know, now yeah, and now been hooked.
2: <laughs> That's a favorite of mine as well. Absolutely. Yeah, we have four remarkable lounges in in our hub: the pier, the wing, the bridge, and um, uh, pier, wing, bridge, and I'm forgetting one now. The uh the, the bridge. Did I say they? Yeah, the pier, <laughs> the wing. Yeah, the pier, the
1: wing, and the and the bridge. Are those all business class, or is one of them first class?
2: Yeah, the wing and the pier are first in business, so they're they're segregated. Um, the bridge is is just for all business first class.
1: Okay.
2: And um and then the other one, yeah. Sorry guys, it, it's it's escaped me, but it's for both first and business class customers.
0: Okay. Okay. I, yeah. I got
2: to ask uh, Chris about, do you have, I got to well, ask
0: I, one I, more thing. I, yeah. Let, let me, let me just say one thing about, about the airport and then you can ask yeah. the question. I, I remember. Oh, the deck.
2: I'm sorry. It just, sorry. Deck. It's the, the deck.
0: deck. Okay. <laughs> okay. Carry on. <laughs> well, I, 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 have to say when, when I flew in there, mm-hmm. I was on a 747 400, it was packed to the gills. We landed the walk from the airplane to baggage claim was, I, I don't know. 10 minutes 15 minutes cleared customs and the bags were already off the plane neatly lined up they're already Mm. off the belt I, I mean we literally just walked up grabbed our bag it wasn't even on the belt it was just lined up next to the belt and went right through customs oh wow I have never been to an airport in the world especially on on an airplane with 400 other people where my bag beat me off the plane and wasn't even just spinning around the carousel. Like someone, someone had gone and taken the bag and, and set it down. And it was like, yeah. that was my introduction to Hong Kong was my bag is sitting there waiting. So I, I don't know if that was cafe. I don't know if that was the airport. I don't know if that was a combination thereof. That but... was
2: all Cathay Pacific.
0: Okay. T- t- all cafe Pacific. Talk about a, a welcome, <laughs> talk about a welcome to to the city. I, I mean, that was that, that's one of my my most vivid memories of, of yeah. arriving awesome airport sorry drew what what was your (laughs) what was your question well no no i I actually
1: i want chris chris to listen to this oh yeah is that beautiful or what that's the love the love theme yeah (laughs) so
2: do we still have that at cathay pacific no we don't i think i think that that left us
1: sometime in the early 90s oh no 90s yes okay so you know, when you have to call Kathy Pacific because you use the phones back then, I remember calling and listening to that and
0: it's like <laughs> oh, so, don't answer
1: my call yet because I'm enjoying this music so that, that was
0: that was the whole music
1: yeah <laughs> okay. so that's well uh, that, that's that was also
2: our boarding our boarding music on the uh the plane as well as our uh departure <laughs> like you know when we sent uh said goodbye to our customers we were playing that as well so yeah <laughs> so
1: that's love's theme 1973 is written by barry white and the group was love unlimited <laughs> not very hong kong but when i hear that song i think you think yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right anything else about kathy pacific doug or chris no no not specifically about Kathy pacific but your your hub and your main destination hong kong doug and i both love it doug went there for spring break as one does right go to hong kong (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) i've been there a number of times and i love it it's it's like it reminds me of new york it's crazy it's loud it's exciting Chris, why don't you tell us when you go to Hong Kong? Like, what what are your favorite places to visit and restaurants? Give us some give us some tips. Sure, sure. Yeah. Well, it it clearly is my favorite city
2: in Asia. I've been visiting there for for close to thirty five years, and I'm fortunate, you know, in in normal times to get back there uh, a few times each year. Uh, we already talked about. Um, a must is to visit one of the four lounges. I know you guys both enjoy your lounges. So uh, (laughs) definitely something to check out. But for visitors, I mean, it really depends what your interests are. But Hong Kong is a dynamic city. And it really accommodates to everyone. So if if you know, if, if you're traveling with family, believe it or not, there's lots to do there as well. Uh, there is a Disneyland in Hong Kong, <laughs> after all, I like to remind people. But for me personally, what I love doing now is is getting out and just relaxing and exploring the great nature. Uh, mm-hmm. Hong Kong has yep. you know, over 200 islands. Mm-hmm. There's some tremendous hiking. And I love visiting sort of the outer islands because they're just so tranquil and peaceful. So I love places like Chung Chao or Lama Island. And these are great little spots, usually a 45-minute ferry, and there's lovely little restaurants and beaches. And my wife and I will hike uh, on these islands and kind of spend a a leisurely Saturday or Sunday doing that. As as you quite rightly point out, it is the Manhattan of Asia, (laughs) that energy and vibe. And so skyscrapers galore and without a question, the most beautiful skyline, in my opinion, um, around the world. So because of all these skyscrapers there's tremendous rooftop lounges and bars mm-hmm. and these all mm-hmm. just offer amazing panoramic views so my favorite you know i've got 3 uh is is sugar a place called sugar at the east hotel uh-huh. great great view and because it's a, a little bit more on the hong kong island side off the beaten track it tends to be less crowded so if okay. you want a quiet conversation or a business meeting it's great for that uh the felix at the top of the peninsula unbelievable you got the whole hong kong island uh, there which is fantastic and then and then the newer one is called ozone at the ritz carlton hmm. and it's 118 118 floors uh high so hmm. wow these these things are all just incredibly spectacular and you have to you have to visit one of them when you're there and then something more casual and fun, uh, I love hanging out, again, on Hong Kong Island in an area called Mid-Levels. Okay. And in this area, you know, there's lots of great restaurants and wine bars, and there's a, a district there Oops. called Lang Kwai Fong, which is very Yes, I've been, yes mm-hmm. I've been there too. Yep, yeah, yep. so that that's a must too, because, you know, very narrow streets, and on the weekend, there's no cars. So, mm-hmm. you know, and you're allowed to kind of you know, interact and socialize right mm-hmm. on the street, so it's good fun. And and Hong Kong itself, a lot of people again aren't aware of this, but it is a real foodie city.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: there's over fifty Michelin restaurants. In oh Europe. wow! And they also their claim to fame is the world's cheapest Michelin restaurant, and it's a little dim sum place called Tim mm-hmm. Ho Wan. And so you can you can have dim sum at a Michelin star restaurant, uh, you know, for about
1: $20. So it's pretty, wow.
2: pretty reasonable.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's great. So Hong Kong, what I remember about the food, every, everything I ate was delicious, but the fried rice there doesn't taste greasy. I, <laughs> I could just eat it all day. And you guys have the Hong Kong milk tea. Have you had that, Chris? I have. I have. It's an acquired taste, I have to say. It's
2: not my go-to uh hot beverage, but I've had it on a couple of occasions. Yes.
1: Yeah, no, I love it. It's strong and it's creamy and it's I like, I was born in Sri Lanka and that's like the tea that we have there where you have to have like the condensed milk and right. you know, it's it's great. Doug, we got to get there. We got a lot yeah, of stuff to
0: do. Yeah. Yeah, well, and take the ferry over to Kowloon and then watch the the nighttime light show where all the skyscrapers ha- have like the lasers pointing up in the sky and everything and it's it's like these old school wooden green and white ferries that they go Mm -hmm. across you you could easily just take the metro but why not take a boat Why, why not take a boat across the harbor it's beautiful yeah, and I, I agree with Chris. I, I think it's one of the, the prettiest skylines in the world.
1: If you want a really good afternoon tea, I can't remember the hotel, but it was on the, um, the Harbor. Cal Is it on the Kowloon side? I think it was on the Kowloon side. I don't know if it was a Four Seasons or a Fairmont, but I had the best afternoon tea I've ever had in my life. And I apologize to our listeners in the UK, but... Go to Hong Kong for afternoon tea. It'll really impress you. Still, while we're on the the,
2: the food subject, just something I really want to recommend both to you or, you know, any first time or repeat visitor to Hong Kong. And at first I was a bit skeptical, but have you ever done these foodie tours? Um, I have not. But okay. I, do I haven't either. Okay. So I, I, I just really encourage you to give it a shot. Give it a shot in a, in a place like Hong Kong. I've done these around the world. So they're typically very small Kind of, uh, you know, groups of like five or six, and they tour you around various aspects or areas of the city. And Hong Kong's got four or five of these little optional small group, and so you eat your way through the day, and you know they they expose you to food you you might not normally try Mm -hmm. on your own. All the while, you know, they point out historical uh, cultural things about the the city and the district you're in. Super enjoyable, but the Hong Kong foodie tour hmm. is is really highly, highly recommended. It's a great way to visit Hong Kong. And even if you're a repeat visitor like me, I, I do it often and highly recommend that.
1: It's a good thing that Tak is closed because instead of jo- enjoying all this about Hong Kong, we'd be sitting there watching planes.
0: <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> <land> <laughs> at Kai Tak. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, Chris, it was an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thanks for taking your time to add Geek Out with us on a Sunday afternoon and regale us with your stories and information about Cathay Pacific. You are welcome back anytime.
2: Thank you very much. My pleasure. Enjoyed it, guys. Thank you.
1: Thanks for coming on, Chris. We wish you and our listeners in Hong Kong and around the world all the best as we come out of this pandemic. As we say, we are one week closer to this thing being over.
2: Yes, thanks very much, Drew. And if I can just end by saying, please do your part to help us end this pandemic. When the opportunity arises, get your vaccination. Unless the pandemic is contained everywhere, you know, none of us will be safe anywhere.
1: To our listeners, this podcast is your show. So go on our website, nexttripnetwork.com and let us know what's on your mind so we can talk about it or give us your feedback. You can also follow us on Twitter or Instagram at podcast. Tell your friends about us so we can reach more people who love aviation and travel.
0: Thanks to all of our listeners for your support and for joining the conversation. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, stay aviation tough. This has been the Next Trip Podcast.